Hello listener and welcome back to the best private equity podcast in town. Nordic P hits high water mark, a DAC GP goes to a water park, and we won't leave you in the dark about the Benelux and CEE regions. All that and much more lark in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello listener and a very happy new year from all of us on this, the first Unquote Private Equity Podcast of 2019. I'm Kenny Wastel, and we have somewhat of a full house here in the studio today, including a number of podcast debutants. First, we have Unquote's Head of Data and Research, Julian Longhurst. Happy New Year and welcome to the pod, Jules. Happy New Year, Kenny. Hello, everyone. We also have our research editor, Chris Papadopoulos. Happy New Year and welcome, Chris. Hello, good to be here. A welcome and happy new year to research manager, Gareth Morgan. Thanks, Kenny. Happy New Year and to all our listeners. We have news editor Oscar Gein in the studio with us, who is not making his debut today. Welcome back and Happy New Year, Oscar. Happy New Year to you, Kenny, and to all of our listeners. And finally, we have another returning podcaster, Francesca Veronese, unquotes France and Benelux reporter with us today. Happy New Year and good to have you back, Fran. Hi, Kenny. Hi, everyone. Uh, We'll kick things off with the annual buyout review, which is enjoying its 30th anniversary this year, I understand. For those unfamiliar with the publication, this is Unquote's yearly statistical look at the European private equity year that was. Uh, Jules, we had a preemptive roundup in our first podcast, courtesy of Unquote's editor, Greg Gilles. But I believe you're now crunching the, the final numbers almost as we speak. What are the headlines from European private equity in 2018? We've basically just in the last few hours have, have come up with um, preliminary figures. I do expect those to change in the next couple of weeks, uh, probably with numbers going slightly up as, as deals uh, that were completed or announced just before the end of the year uh, sort of creep through. And um, we will be, hopefully, we'll be issuing the, the, the full report at the beginning of March. So that contains all of the regional commentary and the full statistical breakdown uh, on a region-by-region basis, so about 100 pages worth of stats and um, analysis. Um, so from, from a very top-level point of view, uh, I think it's, it's fairly clear to everyone that we've witnessed a very strong year uh, in the European buyout market, despite... You know, perhaps some political headwinds uh, over Brexit, etc., currency volatility, and some patchy uh, economic performance. The value of buyouts that we recorded has risen by 17% to reach 179 billion, which is the third highest on record. Uh, the number of deals fell just short of last year at 1,015. Uh, but you know, despite that, 2018 was easily the second busiest year on record mm-hmm. for European buyouts. I think it's only only gone above a thousand twice. Um, That was 2007, was it, Jules? No, actually it was 2017. Um, No, but back in 2007, uh, the the market was characterised by by huge, huge deals, Uh, you know, the the, the kind of, uh, the sort of 10 billion plus buyouts and stuff like that. So the value was super high then, but the, the volume was lower than it is now. But if you look under the bonnet at some of the stats, I've just pulled out a couple of things that have struck me as I was looking at the stats today. Um, if you look at activity by size range, it's investment at the top end of the market that jumps out. And But it's slightly contradictory. If you look at the number of deals in the 1 billion plus bracket, the mega deals, as we've always called mm-hmm. them, the number of them leapt by 65% to 43, which is the highest we've seen since 2007. 
However, in the bracket below that, the number of 500 million to 1 billion EV buyouts um, has actually fallen to its lowest level in the five-year sample. And, you know, I've kind of been racking my brains as to why that might be. It could be, you know, is it a statistical anomaly? Is it a, a factor of a larger funds looking mm. to deploy more capital, get bigger bang for their buck and doing the, the 1 billion plus deals instead of the 500 to 1 million, which presumably involves a sim- similar sort of effort? I guess that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, if we look at the amount of dry powder and kind of record years of fundraising. Yeah. I know Gareth's been putting together some reports on various different European regions. I think we've had record years pretty much across the board, right, Gareth? Absolutely. But, I mean, if you take those two together, two brackets, the 500 million plus uh, EV deals arose by 4% in terms of number and 25% in terms of value. So it's a very top-heavy year. Looking at it by industry, there were a couple of things that stood out. Uh, the consumer, you know, despite sort of uh, much publicised issues in the UK, at least surrounding consumer businesses, there was a lot of activity in this area across Europe. And the number of deals uh, in consumer goods and services hit five-year high of 322, um, which is uh, the single biggest um, industry segment that we cover. Uh, tech buyouts at the same time fell, but, uh, you know, it's the first time in the five-year sample they've fallen and they still remain well above historical averages, so I don't I don't see that as being indicative of any any more significant trend. Looking at why the market is the way it is, to be honest, I think I think the the, the underlying drivers of, of of this booming market remain much as they have done for a few years. Reserves of dry powder is still plentiful and um, replenishing all the while. Strength in depth within the leverage market, uh, bolstered by direct lenders, uh, debt funds, etc. And you know I wonder whether there's something about the high multiples encouraging family or the owners of, of, of privately owned businesses to cash in when, when we're at a sort of what could be a cyclical high point. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, the fact remains Europe is an increasingly sophisticated ecosystem for the buyouts or for buyouts in general. Um, strength in depth when it comes to practitioners, plenty of scope for GPs to trade up the value chain. So if you look at secondary buyouts are still the second most common source of deal. And you'll see smaller companies get sold to bigger GPs who then sell on to bigger GPs, Which makes sense in a mature mature market as the European private equity market matures. That seems perfectly logical. Are there any sort of other key takeaways that you have from from 2018? No, I don't think so. I think we we saw an already pretty pretty strong year in 2017 just evolve very slightly um, flat flat in some areas, but up in, in others, value being one of them. Uh, but um, you know, I think the next couple of weeks, where we um, where we dig around and, and put some finessing on the on the data, we'll we'll, we'll get the the final picture mm. as it is. Which could be surprising given the amount of uh, political instability there is across Europe, really as a whole. But I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see what what twenty nineteen has in in store for us. Thank you very much, Jules. We'll um, we'll be back to discuss the the Nordic region with Gareth shortly after this. So we're going to start our trip around the regions by discussing the Nordic private equity market, which by all accounts had a barnstorming 2018. Would that be fair to say, Gareth? Absolutely. Yeah, we've seen the highest volume in a decade in terms of buyout deals. And we were three billion shy of a 2006 record for value, um, which Jules reliably informs me was driven by one 10 billion euro deal back then. So. Yeah, pretty strong year all in all on the deal side and, and fundraising as well. Um, 15 buyout funds held final close in 2018, 
raising 25 billion euros, which is more than double the next highest post-crisis year. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that the region's in in root health. Okay, and in terms of the uh, on the deal side, are there any sort of specific value ranges that have seen particularly high levels of activity, uh, or is it pretty much across the board? Across the board, it's been pretty strong. All sort of size bands have seen pretty modest growth on on 2017. A couple of standouts have been actually quite similar to to Europe as a whole, as, as Jules just discussed. The the billion plus mega deal space is up by 8.5 billion on value uh, for 2018 versus 2017. Obviously, there are only four deals done, so the 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 kind of sample size there means that one deal can skew that quite a lot and, um, it, and it did in fact uh, yeah. I think um, just just like the TDC deal back in 2006 the the um, this slightly unusual uh, merger deal between Sivantos and Widex um, was was we've we've counted that as an EV of seven billion so that's that's going to have a disproportionate effect on the overall stats just like the TDC deal did back you know 11 years ago and it's okay. fair to say a similar sort of thing on the fundraising side, I think. I know, Gareth, you know this due to your excellent work on the Nordic fundraising report. Was it 75% of the market was just two funds? Yeah, so uh, 2018 saw EQT and Nordic Capital both close flagship funds. Um, I think EQT was double-digit billions and Nordic approaching that. Um, so obviously for a, for a region like the Nordics, which is relatively small, those kind of European players really skew the numbers upwards. Interestingly though, 75% of the market in, in billion plus funds is actually a relatively small number. Usually it's around 80% for Nordics. So um, one of the themes that, that came out in the fundraising report you mentioned was was how well mid-market funds have done right. in 2018. Traditionally, there's a real cyclical element to fundraising in, in the Nordics where you see these large cap players coming in sucking up a lot of the capital in the market, not really leaving space for, for the mid-cap players, and it will come, it'll close in subsequent years. So you get quite a lumpy chart if you look at it like that. But, but this year, although the numbers have been really strong for large-cap players, the mid-market's been formed really well too. So... Uh, How about the pipeline for next year? I mean, how's this demand for Nordic funds going to be met now that we've had such a good year and both of the biggest players have closed funds. Yeah, well that's 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 probably the second key point that came out of of the, the fundraising report, uh, which is available on, on onquote.com for our listeners. What we're seeing in the Nordics that, that really hasn't happened there as much as it has in other regions uh, at the moment is that players are starting to spin out. You're starting to see new firms come in, do their own thing, sort of often spinning out of, of larger, very well established managers so I think in terms of pipeline for LPs looking at the region which you know lots do the the return characteristics for Nordics funds are pretty much the strongest in Europe I think Um, so people want exposure to the region the kind of pool of managers is relatively small but growing so I think those growing managers are really going to satisfy that that demand from international investors Okay, but obviously, I mean, a lot of this is driven by LP demand because without the LPs, you, you have no funds, obviously. Um, and what is interesting from, from what you've said, even setting aside sort of the, the larger funds, is that there is this sort of booming mid-market, whereas across 
Europe as a whole, certainly in France and the UK anyway, we, we spoke about in, in uh, the previous uh, episode of, of this podcast, there has been a decrease in uh, fundraising throughout 2018. Not not necessarily a, a drastic drop in, in France as there was uh, in, in the UK. Mm. But it's interesting that you say that the Nordics seem to have that trend is it purely driven by the fact that there are there are these these spin-outs like you said or are there other factors about the nordic market that make it particularly attractive at the moment good question i think the the fact that it's a pretty mature private equity market is is definitely works in its favor so you've got the kind of trading up that, that jules mentioned as in, in europe as a whole you had quite a lot of managers in, in the venture space particularly and sort of lower mid cap all providing a pool of potential uh, portfolio companies or potential deals for for the large managers uh, slightly further up the value chain perhaps in part a kind of more of a cultural acceptance in the region that was one of the themes that that came out during this, the, the fundraising report but there's not a stigma attached to being owned by private equity or selling to private equity that, that you might see in the DAC region, for example. So I think that that just makes life a little bit easier for, for managers. Um, Something that came out of the Nordic event um, in Stockholm as well, I think, I can't remember which panelist it was, but someone said that every child in the Nordic region grows up knowing what a share is. <laughs> and uh, you know they are aware of the different types of capital that are appropriate for different stages of business development, which is perhaps something fairly unique in Europe to that region. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, Gareth. Thank you, Jules. Do stay with us, listener. We'll be discussing the DAC region after this short musical interlude. So, Oscar, we're going to come to you now to give us an update on the DAC market. What were the key takeaways from 2018? Well, the key takeaway really is just we've had another record year by um, measuring by both volume and value. I mean, uh, the volume of buyouts was up to 162 from 157, so a small increase. Um, but quite notably, the value was up from 25 billion to 27.5 billion. And the reason that's so notable is because 2017 actually had the largest ever German private equity deal uh, when Bain and Sinvan took, uh, took the drug maker Stada private. And the fact that most of the growth of the large cap stayed sort of relatively stable, most of the growth was in the sort of small cap and lower mid market. Um, so the kind of zero to 50 million enterprise value deal bracket had the largest growth. Um, it was 85 deals this year, which is 52% of all deals, um, which was only 37% of all deals in 2017. So quite a noticeable increase there. What's driving that increase in that deal value range? Well, it's interesting you ask actually, because Jules was saying we've been talking for kind of 20 years about the German Mittelstand opening up to private equity. And it just hasn't really happened, has it, George? I mean, this, like you say, lots of companies are still very hesitant to sell to private equity. Yeah, and I think there is still a cultural issue there. Um, and they've been talking about it at conferences and in statistical, um, you know, in the buyout reviews in years gone by. And my view is that neither now nor in the last 20 years has there been a kind of sudden event which has opened the tap of these companies suddenly rushing to sell to private equity. They will be an important source of... Um, of investment opportunities for private equity houses and bit by bit they will trickle through the pipeline but I don't think it's going to come in a rush I think you know as Oscar you said um, uh, a few moments ago a lot of the companies that we're seeing now are companies that have been set up and built up from from the ground up in the last 10 years and you know possibly with startup money possibly with early stage money but are now got to the level where they can they can be part of the buyout food chain if you want to call it that 
Yeah, exactly. And um, that, like you say, the younger sort of maybe second generation, third generation companies have been an important uh, source of deal flow this year. You know, it's a different sort of company and funds have had to develop new tools to be able to access them. Um, so, for example, we've even seen more and more minority deals or deals below 66%, which is an important threshold in sort of German shareholding law, and even some, some all equity deals, uh, which is, I suppose, quite surprising given that leverage is creeping up almost across the board. Leverage r- remains very cheap across the board in, in Europe. So yeah. why are we seeing well, more? For various different deals? reasons. I mean, it's, it's always lower in the lower deal brackets, which the DAC market is sort of skewed towards, right? Um, But I I guess one example to sort of illustrate sort of idiosyncratic reasons, um, there was a very interesting deal um, just towards the end of 2018 uh, by Argos Wichu, which is obviously also a new entrant to the DAC market, opened up in 2016, uh, didn't do any deals for a while and then did, I think, two or three last year. Um, So they bought uh, Vivit Sports which is like, they make like inflatable water parks, right? Like those sort of assault courses that you see yeah. floating on the sea. Um, it was founded, I think, in 96, something like that, by two ex-professional footballers um, who decided that, you know, they were sort of ideologically opposed to any leverage, uh, had hold, held off on selling for a long time. And Argos came in and, and basically said, you know, we'll write it all in equity. Promise not to refinance it after two years. I mean, I think it's important. It's important to, to and, and I've seen looking through the thousand odd deals that we've got in the stats this year. I have seen a, a lot of deals where, um, when when you read the description, the press release, it says with the new money being raised will go towards X, Y, and Z. Now, if you think about it from my point of view, a buyout doesn't raise new money necessarily. It's just money changing hands. A vendor gets it and walks away. However, there are. I mean, and, and I think this is a, an evolutionary thing. There are a lot of deals we're seeing now that are growth focused. It's not the simple exchange of a, an already successful asset, which um, has the underlying cash flow to pay down um, a layer of leverage. They are companies that are in very much in a growth phase. And so this, in, exactly. in this case, leverage is not really as appropriate as it would be elsewhere. And they even said to me actually on that point, in terms of exit routes, we'd think about IPOing this business. Which is, you know, it's not really like traditional buyout house. You wouldn't expect them to be investing in a small business and growing it all the way through to no, IPO. No. Um, but because of the you know, idiosyncratic nature of the deal, that's what they were looking to do. And they even said to me, uh, the, the guy I spoke to said, last year we bought an inflatable boats and ribs uh, manufacturer for the defense sector. And we see sort of synergies between the... Yeah, between that was the, the Zodiac company. one. Zodiac, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Zodiac yeah. Milbro, I think it was called. You did mention there you're talking about Argus with you go, with you going uh, into the sort of DAC market and new market entrance yes. as a whole. That was the other topic I wanted to discuss. Right. Because, so um, yeah, according to Unquote News, um, the DAC regions had more new entrants than any other European region since the start of 2017. All of them from neighbouring European countries, except for KKR, which I think is relocating to avoid the uncertainty surrounding the. Brexit situation, uh, so they put their European headquarters in Frankfurt. But other than that, it was mostly sort of mid-market, low mid-market GPs that wanted to get access to these these kind of deals that we've been talking about. Okay, and with more GPs in the market, you would expect that to have a knock-on effect on on pricings. Um, what is the score on that front on pricings? Yeah, so pricing's been creeping up as everywhere. In fact, I spoke to. Uh, one of our contacts at Clearwater International, uh, Axel Altman, 
um, who's in charge of the the DAC office, and you can you can read the piece on our website. But basically, he was saying, yeah, pricing's high, but what's higher actually is pricing expectations. And uh, you know, you get kind of EQT doing the Sue's deal for twenty times EBITDA or whatever it was, and every family business owner or startup founder thinks that they can achieve a similar multiple. Well, it, it makes sense. People see these headline yeah. figures and they, and we're they think that's what's <laughs> We are, yeah, guilty um, as charged. So a big part of uh, their job is kind of moderating the expectations and saying, yeah, you know, your business is great, but there's a difference between a, a, a great business and a really like first class, high performing business and managing that expectation, maybe, you know, offering an earn out structure or some sort of reinvestment program to sweeten the deal for them a little bit or something like that. Great. Thank you very much, Oscar. We'll, uh, we have to move on. Producer Tim is in my ear, as always. Um, we will uh, be looking at the Benelux region next up, so we'll be back with that shortly after this. So, Fran, we come to you now to discuss the Benelux region, and sticking with the theme that we've seen across Europe, the, the, the region has seen a lot of capital deployed in 2018, What's the overall story? Because I understand there have been some eyebrow-raising deals in terms of size range. Uh, yes, absolutely. This is the second most active year ever in terms of value uh, for the region, um, with up to uh, 28.6 billion allocated. Um, and it was second only to 2007. Um, uh, 2007's uh, 35 billion. Of course, we we should refer to one deal in particular, the third biggest P buyout <laughs> deal that Europe has ever seen. Um, so Carla Group's carve out of the speciality chemical division of Axonobel. That by itself was a 10.1 billion deal. Does does that skew the the, the figures? Definitely, definitely. Um, okay. Having said this. Um, importantly, um, even if we did take out um, that one specific deal, the deal value of 18.5 is still the highest ever seen since the pre-crisis years. So nevertheless, a very, very impressive exactly. year for the large cap. We've seen a total of, um, sorry, an additional seven large cap deals um, this year. Um, so, for instance, uh, PI um, acquired Refresco for 3.3 billion, um, BC Partners, the United Group um, for 2.6. Um, so yeah, really, really exceptional year uh, for the large cap, with, uh, which did skew up um, figures. What investors have told me to explain this phenomenon is the environment is really good. Um, so the economies are, are strong, um, the debt market is really accommodating, and prices are going up. So in a way, we've seen a few deals that would have been um, in the mid-market actually making it to the large cap. So um, Purely by a factor of the multiple being exactly, higher. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, you know, why are prices going up particularly? Um, well, firstly, investors say they know that the exit will take place during a downturn. Um, they expect that. Um, so they're paying more for businesses that will be less affected by a difficult economic environment. And secondly, competition is getting um, tougher and tougher. The region has seen new actors coming in, so foreign pension funds and pan-European private equity firms, which simply were not present beforehand. Um, a good example is that, of that is um, equity partnering with the Canadian pension fund PSP Investments um, for the acquisition of Adzelis, which was a $2 billion um, deal. So as a matter of fact, these things weren't happening a few, a few years ago, and uh, now they are affecting numbers. Interesting. Um, and on the, the, the fundraising side, has that followed a similar pattern to the rest of Europe with 
you know, activity tailing off slightly perhaps? Or are there any sort of notable developments on that front in the Benelux region? Well, it's a very interesting point actually, as similarly to other regions in Europe, the um, fundraising has slowed down, but shockingly perhaps um, for the Benelux. Um, since this year, we've only seen final closes totaling 1.3 billion across nine funds. Just to give you an idea, last year it was 9.1 billion um, wow. across 18 okay. funds. And actually, biggest fundraised this year were um, two uh, venture funds. We've had Foreign right. Capital Four uh, with 360 million and Mangrove Five with two, 200 million. And is that a reflection of how strong the venture market is, or is it? Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. by the, the the drop in the huge drop in value yes, suggests yes. that perhaps it might be something to do with you know buyout funds not not being out in the market. I I would say it's both exactly. So first of all, if we look at what happened between two thousand fifteen and two thousand seventeen in terms of fundraising in the region we see the biggest GPs fundraising. So Waterland um, closed two funds, Gilde Buyout and Gilde Equity Management, um, Egeria, Bensis, these really important GPs um, have been fundraising. And as well as new large cap players such as Core Equity Partners, uh, which by itself fundraised a 1 billion fund. So really it it simply means that um, GPs in the past few years um, have taken advantage of a really positive environment for fundraising and in a way I'm, I'm really positive that they will return next year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in a way there's just been a little bit of a break here for, um, for GPs, um, but um, venture is going really well. Um, so it's, it's really developed. Um, in terms of investments, um, venture has seen 243 million invested this year and last year was 149. Right, so um, it's a reflection of, of both. There's a really strong um, biotechnology and pharma market in, in the Benelux and yeah, we're seeing venture really kicking off here. Interesting, and obviously we can't really speak about any European region without talking about sort of external <laughs> macroeconomic and political events. Are you asking me if the region can benefit from Brexit? <laughs> You you might very well uh, interpret that as the as yes as the question. Brilliant. Um, so the general consens- uh, consensus is uh, in the Netherlands um, and and the region generally is that Brexit is a lose lose situation for everybody because Britain is such an important trading partner um, for the Netherlands. So they're really looking you know they're really careful about what kind of repercussions um, this could have um, in the Benelux. And they're preparing as much as possible for disruption. Um, having said this, um, the Netherlands might become a region where financial institutions might move to. So, for instance, what we've seen this year with the Unilever case has been quite interesting. So, um, it's not a private equity-backed company, although KKR did carve out um, the Unilever spreads division um, in last uh, at the end of 2017. But basically, the Unilever was meant to relocate to the Netherlands altogether. This was announced at the beginning of 2018, whereas at the end of 2018, it abandoned um, this, this plan to move um, because of its a rebellion from British shareholders. So there is a lot of uncertainty and really we'll have to, to see um, how things develop. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Fran. Um... We'd love to speak a little bit more about that. Sounds very, very interesting. But we do have to move on and we'll speak about the CEE region after this. Okay, so we've come to the final region in our whistle-stop tour around European private equity. We are going to be looking at 
Central and Eastern Europe with uh, Chris. So Chris, if you could uh, just give us a, an overview of uh, 2018 in uh, the CE region. Well, it was a mixed year in 2018. It was a slow year in volume terms. The annual number of buyouts dropped to a seven-year low of 33, down from 54 the previous year. There were steep falls in Poland, which is, of course, CE's largest market. And the Czech Republic and Turkey also saw large falls. Uh, total deal value climbed, though. It rose about 50% to 6 billion euros. That was due to five deals valued over 250 million euros, which is the most in the region since 2009. Right, so larger deals booming uh, elsewhere, yeah. things tailing up. Slow volume, up. high value, yeah. What are the sort of key reasons behind that? It's, uh, it seems like a more substantial drop, perhaps, mm-hmm. that is a smaller sample size, but it seems like a very substantial drop year on year. Well, what you've had over the last several years is deals in Russia and Turkey, which we bundled into CE. They've both been declining because of geopolitical reasons. Um, and with the others, it's, I think it's probably just random because we're not seeing a lot of deals in CE anyway. You know, Poland might register 20 to 30 deals. So an eight deal drop, which I think it was, it's, you know, it can happen year on year without really being reflective of underlying trends. The underlying trends in the region tend to be pretty strong fundamentals. And what sort of other highlights have there been across the across the region throughout the, the year? Well, one thing that stood out, there were a lot of secondary buyouts over the year. There were 12 secondaries. Uh, that's the highest on record for the region. Uh, I'm sorry, the second highest on record for the region, uh, which shows the market is maturing a bit. Uh, there was also a couple of very big deals from international players, Advent, had a 1 billion euro plus deal. Uh, Blackstone also did. Great. And if there were, uh, are, there, are there any sort of underlying trends you're expecting heading into to 2019, Chris? Well, even though it was a slower year for volume, a lot of people do expect it to pick up. GPs and advisors are quite optimistic. They keep saying there's a lot of family businesses which were set up you know, in the 1990s that now have succession problems. They say a lot of their major industries are still quite fragmented, so lots of room for consolidation in those. Uh, There was also a very healthy exit market in 2018. There were 46 exits, as I said, lots of secondary buyouts, but also a lot of interest from trade buyers, which tends to make PE investments, you know, you have more confidence in PE investments going forward on the back of a healthy exit market. So those are all fair, and of course, pretty stable economic growth in Poland and the main markets around there as well. So it all looks pretty good going forward. Great. Well, that's an encouraging note on which to end. Thanks, Chris. Almost time to wrap things up. All that really remains is for me to urge you to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity Podcast on Spotify and iTunes, or to listen on the Unquote website at unquote.com if you prefer. Before we go, my thanks to all our panelists and to you, listener. All the very best for 2019, and we'll speak to you next time. Bye.